Housing for the Aged Action Group, Haig for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show on 3CR, 8.55am. My name's Shane, and we're about to hear an interview that uh, Fiona, my co-host, did with some people from the Uniting Housing United Housing Co-op. So let's go right into it. I'm joined in the studio today by some tenants of the United Housing Co-op in Footscray and also the general manager of the United Housing Co-op. How are you all going today? Good, thank you. Really Pretty good, well, thanks, thanks. Excellent. Before we get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about housing co-ops. So cooperative housing is a model that started in the 70s and it rose out of um, housing activism. And it was a response to, I guess, some of the real big housing problems that were happening at the time where Housing Commission were treating tenants really badly. They were being patronised and and not really part of their housing. And as a result of that, um, a different model came up and was actually funded by government for quite a while too. Um, Those times have changed, but United Housing Co-op has been around for 40 years this year, as has Housing for the Aged Action Group. Both of our organisations arose from housing activism at that time. So it's a really great opportunity for us to look back and think about how housing has changed over that time, why cooperatives are an important form of housing and what how they might be actually a solution for the future as well as something from the past. So I might start with you, Janet. Um, so I believe that you're one of the founding members of the United Housing Co-op. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved? Uh, yes, I was... Um uh, the United Housing Co-op is made up of three um, smaller cooperatives, one of which was Essendon that I was in. I was with my daughter in public housing and um, we were recruited, I guess, by community worker from council and got together to start the, a cooperative following in the model of Footscray, one of the other founding co-ops, um, they were a little bit ahead of us, I think. And what about what year was that about? Do you think that was about eighty two, nineteen eighty two? Oh wow! Mm. Right. And what about you, Maya? How did you join up with the United Housing Co-op? Uh, well, I was a member with Footscray Housing Co-op, um, but I didn't come in right at the beginning. I came about ten years in, so I've been a member for twenty seven years, um, and uh, in that time, I've seen the co-op movement flourish, um, particularly with, uh, we changed, once um, Essendon came on board with um, Footscray, we changed our name to United Housing Cooperative. So you were sort of the merger of three smaller housing co-ops, is that how it went? Yes, we've just um, uh, had uh, Sunshine St Albans come on board with us. Right, okay. So what's changed in those 27 slash 40 years? Quite a lot. Yes. <laughs> I guess we joined together because um, the smaller housing co-ops were not really viable or working, and um, although there are still a couple around, but um, 
a bigger organisation is more efficient and we have over 130 properties now, so housing quite a lot of people. That's a lot, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's a lot more professional now too than when, when it first mm. started. Uh, we have um, a lot of professional people uh, helping to run the co-ops now, like yeah. Peter and the rest of the staff. Um, and because in the in the very early days, it was the members doing all the work um, and doing all the the maintenance of the or the, the like painting and things like that to the houses. But now we get uh, professional people in to do that. Um, the houses are all maintained at a very very high standard, um, and uh, people look after the houses too and are more inclined to look after the houses if they're in good repair. So the 130 um, houses are spread across, I guess, the inner west, would that be correct? And, and what sort yep. of housing is it? Well, can you describe the, the housing? Is it is it standalone? Is it flats? Yeah, is it's it, detached, yeah deta largely detached housing. Um, we've got some blocks of units but largely detached housing and villa units yeah and they're spread from strathmore down to williamstown actually so we've yeah the inner west uh zone sort of is is where we come from i just add to what janet and may have said around you know the evolution of united it was from those very early days of people for public housing and groups and activists like janet fighting for housing justice we we, there's been good and bad, I suppose. Some people would say that the regulatory environment introduced by government has has restricted the community and member sort of involvement to some extent, but we've tried really hard to hang on to that tenant member governance model. Like, our board's made up of tenants primarily um, and two independents, but we, we, we've tried to keep the best of, of the community-based management model that co-ops were built on. But, of course, with the government's regulatory environment changes, we've had to adapt. We've had to... We've got lots of compliance and KPIs and, um, as you know, uh, Fiona, a lot of reporting to government funding agencies. So it, it's forced to change and so do so is equal opportunity acts and privacy acts and confidentiality agreements and everything else so it's been an interesting evolution i, I reckon i mean from when janet sat around a room with six other housing well housing activists and tenants um and then went to canberra protesting for more housing um from those early days of a group of women getting together with a local housing worker to buy properties and form a cooperative to what we are now. It's It's been a huge transition, but we're very proud that we've survived anyway those 40 years. So, and as they, as Janet Mayer said, we, we we didn't have to merge, but it's made us much more viable and we can't be picked off by anyone. We, we feel like we can keep our co-op alive in its own right. Yeah, strength so, in numbers. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because I've done a bit of reading into the history of the co-op movement in Victoria um, and one of the things that it came out of, I guess, was the um, anti-war protests as well and the women's refuge protests and then housing justice sort of came as part of that and the Holden Street squat that ended up being yeah. supported by the refuge movement um, as part of those early days. Um, but 
I guess the principle is mm. that the co-ops are managed by the tenants um, and it's a yep. self-governing concept. Absolutely. Uh, so, so how do you think how do you think you've managed to retain that? I guess it's quite different, Janet, from back in the day. How, what do you think are the, the things that you've needed to do to adapt to the changes but still remain the essence of self-governing? It certainly is um, very different, Fiona. The, in the old days, we managed it all ourselves and now there's we've got paid staff and, as Peter was saying, there's a fairly rigorous... Um, regulation and compliance environment um, um, and as Maya said before we've become more professional like we have portfolios like the board members have portfolios there's training available if people don't feel terribly confident and in that way it's much more supportive even than it was even in the early days but yes it's very different now. And so the tenants get to have a say in I guess how the place is run with the decision making. Um, does that involve a lot of meetings or what does that look like for residents? Yes. Um, for both of you, yeah. Monthly board, uh, no, six weekly board meetings now I think it is, but um, th it's full on for the board. There's other committees uh, as well that, um, uh, that report to the board, like uh, tenancy, uh, maintenance, uh, policy. Um, finance. Finance, yes. <laughs> finance, of course, Janet. <laughs> um, yes, so there's... Um, uh, general meetings, Mayor. Oh, yes, general meetings. Thank you, Peter. Yes. <laughs> so we'll we get 60, 60 plus of those. Yeah. Is that all yes. of the tenants of the of the other, like the 130 properties who bring them all together or, or how does that work? Yep. Yeah, it's it's um, a good uh, amount of, um, of uh, response yeah um and also we have a an AGM right and all members uh, are have to attend that one yeah and so I guess um one of the big things that have changed recently is is taking over what used to be the Lions ILU village in Footscray or West Footscray um, and that's a real a real kind of exciting development for the co-op would you be able to tell us a little bit about what that is maybe Peter, starting with you about what what is the what is the Footscray Lions Village project, and then maybe I'll ask Janet and Maya what they're most excited about. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, well, we we did put in a bid for the big build uh, social housing growth fund. We thought we had a good model that worked for a whole range of people, and and we wanted to provide sort of a long term housing option for our older women, in particularly. In particular, and um, so yeah, we got together. Uh, we knew the Lines Village was uh, operating in Summerhill Road, and it um, was falling into disrepair. And it, it did have a number of old women living there, mainly of Filipino origin. And uh, yeah, we just partnered. I went and had a lot of meetings with the Lions Club, and sort of talked to them about forming a partnership and putting in a proposal to get funding for a co-op village if you like and um we we didn't expect to get off the ground because most of the big build money was taken up by housing associations and we're just a housing provider as such a smaller tiered organization but anyway we were lucky i think they loved our concept um and so we got a government grant to to build 49 uh, apartments in a sort of village model where we we want to replicate 
what happens in Europe, to, um, if we can, to some extent, you know, co-housing models where they're tenant-controlled as much as possible within our regulatory environment. Um, so it's it's been we've had it's been fraught with difficulties because of the building industry chaos that we've had to deal with and cost blowouts and a number of other things which probably um, essential well it's evidence of the of the problems of doing a big housing bill with the community sector and not for profit sector but anyway yeah after a lot of trouble we're back on board we're we're about to restart works. Uh, albeit with a much bigger budget and much better, bigger cost impact on UHC, but we're pretty confident we're going to uh, develop this fantastic um, co-op village, and hopefully we can do it with Hague support and other groups support in in um, providing good quality housing for women over the age of seventy five. We have to get seventy five percent off the priority application waiting list and 25% will be probably low-waged older women. So, no, we're really excited from um, that we got this over the, over the line, but it's been a hell of a lot of work to get it there. So, sorry, that's, I've probably said too much, but I could go on because it's, <laughs> uh, it's occupied my life for two years. <laughs> and what about you, Janet? You're on the finance subcommittee of the co-op. That must be a big injection of funding and also a bit of a headache for you as members. How's it, how's it been? <laughs> How's it been going for you guys? Well, luckily we've got um, uh, a good um, finance subcommittee and one of the directors um, of the cooperative is the is the finance has the finance portfolio, and uh, he's been a great help. But um, yes, it's mostly members of the um, committee. But yeah, then that didn't didn't tell us that we were they didn't we don't really have to we as the finance committee I think don't have to so much account for the multi-million dollar big build um, money but it does have an impact of course on everyday yeah um, operations of the cooperative and so what are you most excited about Maya in terms of the of the new build well I'm hoping to move in there great um, and I'm looking forward to um, uh, making new friends um, and very much uh, with the Filipino ladies coming back. Um, I'm from a Dutch Indonesian background and I'm used to uh, that Asian food and everything. So I'm really looking forward to getting in and <laughs> maybe having community lunches or something. Yeah. But also just the, um, uh, just the new adventure too. Yeah, so I've been in my house for 27 years and I'm finding the, the garden is getting too much. I love my garden and I'm going to miss it dearly. But it's, uh, it's going to be fun having other people to work with in a garden. I do all the gardening myself at the moment. Um, and uh, having, having sort of gardening committees and uh, just watching the place grow and develop too. It's, it's just very, very exciting. So part of the design of, of, the, of the new housing is to have that communal <laughs> garden space and, and yes. that communal area in the middle. Have you, as tenants or prospective tenants, had much to say in terms of the design process? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so was that one of the things that you requested, that you have a communal garden? or? Yes, yes, uh, and hopefully a communal orchard as well. Fantastic. All right. But uh, yes, we've been um, very involved in what it's going to look like and the, the, the things that are going to be uh, 
be included in it and, and that. So, How important do you think that co-design type process is in terms of housing for older women? Very, very important because uh, being an older uh, person, you, you're used to things. Um, it's not like when you first move into a flat or something when you're a teenager. We've got a life, uh, we've got children, grandchildren um, and all sorts of different things that we've built up during our lifetime. And we want uh, housing to suit that, not to suit a 20-year-old. Mm. And... Um, Doing it this way, being able to, to have a, a big input, will hopefully give us all, uh, all or most of, uh, most of the things that we need. Yeah. If you had one thing that you could ask the government to do for housing for older people, what, what would that one thing be, do you think? I'll start with you, Janet. Oh, um, I, would, I would hope that they would... It will never happen, I'm sure, but I, was ho- I would hope that they would give um, older people or single people even a bit more space than one bedroom. Mm. I really think that that's important because we all have, well, we nearly all have families or need the help of a carer at some time, whether temporarily or permanently. And I really think that a one bedroom flat is a bit cosy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, we hear that a lot from people who mm. most of the one most of the older person's public housing in Victoria is one bedroom, and and sometimes people do need more space, like you say. So with the with the Footscray Village, is is it more than one bedroom? What's the Have you had much input into that? We've got um, we've got. Um, I've, Peter might remember this. So I know we've got some two bedroom flats in the new village, and we've got some one what they call one and a half, which is sort of one in a study space, and there are some single bedroom flats. Yeah. And what about you, Maya? What's your one one wish? If you could have any wish of government for housing for older people, what would that be? Uh, lots more um, money available for a start to uh, to have appropriate uh, appropriately built housing. Yeah, yeah. Similar to what you've got. At Footscray, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, if not better, like Janet was saying, uh, I think I've always thought minimum should be two bedroom. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it depends on budgets and things. Uh, out there, we've also got uh, provision for two uh, full, um, fully, fully accessed um, uh, apartments as well. So in terms uh, of accessibility for people with disabilities? Or? Yes, yeah. yeah, they're they're dedicated for those ones. But all the all the units are um, accessible. They've all been made so that the you can have visitors over that uh, or people that come to stay uh, that that need that extra width for, of doorways and mm. things. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think just much more uh, government help in this area. Yeah. And what about you, Peter? Would you agree? Uh, yeah, all those things. I think they've they've nailed it. You know, the adaptable design. Um, the one point five bedrooms does allow a carer to stay over or a grandchild. We we only got twelve of those. It's been a bit tight, but we have got some. The two bedrooms, as you know, will have to be a, a two people, a minimum, to live in a two bedder, uh, according to government. Same as public housing. But I, I guess the other important thing which they did, um, Mayor, particularly emphasised the communal area, 
the the ability to to form a community and have have space to do stuff like you know gardening and um, you know with exercise classes or uh, yoga or whatever they want to do that there's the communal space and cook share cooking share share meals have a life you know yeah. beyond their housing so and that's really important we we we've had to fight to keep that little communal area well it's quite a good sized communal area. But that's um, that's also a feature of this group housing situation. I think that's really important. Yeah, and member control. You know, there will be a member yes. tenant committee, tenant member committee that will have input to all those things um, beyond the design input that they had. They will have input into how how the place is run. And we've got uh, eighty kilowatt solar embedded network, and that will reduce. And we're Electric only, no gas. So we're we're trying to be as sustainable as possible, and also to keep the cost down. So there's, it, it is a, it's um, hopefully it's a really good model for other um, housing uh, for older people. Yeah, and that's what we always hoped. I mean, we've had to cut back a bit because of the budget cuts, but it's still going to be pretty cool, I think. It sounds pretty cool. I might just finish up by asking you all one last question, and that's about cooperative housing. Um, so up until the mid-80s, basically, government did support cooperative housing in that they funded some pilot projects and they actually funded the rental co-op program. Um, and then sometime in the 90s, I believe, um, that's changed and it shifted over to what we have now, I guess, which is more of a focus on community housing. Do you think the co-ops are still relevant today and what do you think needs to be done to ensure that we have true participatory democracy in tenant involvement in their housing? Uh, maybe I'll start with you, Peter. Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we're, we're sort of always weighing up the, you know, trying to weigh up the need to, to meet compliance and regulation with trying to keep tenant democracy alive and it is COVID we took a real hit during COVID um, like our, our co-op did vote to get solar and members in, agreed to a surcharge and we agreed to do a, a number of things we had great um, support during the COVID and we did food drops for other members which is stuff that you know was really great but Keeping the democracy alive is, is challenging, and um, I think in the village it'll be okay. We'll be because there'll be enough common uh, interest to keep people really involved. And as long as we keep the board, um, well, as, as our board's eighty percent members, I'm sure they'll be responsive to tenant needs, and that's really important. And it's unique to rental housing co-ops. All the associations and common equity are all run fairly much by private. Um, well, not by tenants, you know. So um, we, I, I think, our model does keep is more likely to uh, allow tenant democracy to thrive and survive. But yeah, it's it's a tricky tricky balance with you know the heavy regulatory requirements. Um, but we're trying our best. Yeah, I hope I've answered the question. <laughs> and Janet or Maya, do you have any thoughts about the futures of co-ops? Uh, yes, well, I hope they don't get too uh, big mm. uh, because um, I think you get more uh, uh, tenant involvement or member involvement and keep that democracy going if, if they're a reasonable size 
um, but not too big like the um, the, the housing associations yep. are. I think you, you tend to lose the um, uh, the whole ethos of it all. So, but lots more. I think we should have lots and lots more. With uh, some government yeah. support, maybe. Yes, and and also more advertising of them. People just don't know that they're around. Mm. And finally, to you, Janet, with your forty years experience in in housing co-ops, what do you think the future is? Um, I'm not sure what the future is, uh, who can tell, but I just think that they are a wonderful model because um, the tenants or me- and mem- or member tenants have input into what goes on and, and for people who want to um, have some sort of control over their housing, I think is probably a good thing and better than just being told that you'll have this and no, you won't have that mm. and all the rest of it. And I just think the co-op's much better. Um, Fiona, can I add model. one thing? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, I just, uh, in in relation, today I had a meeting with Co-Housing Australia and the, and I've got friends who would fit in what they call the missing middle, people who are just above the income eligibility for social housing and can no way possible support but or buy a, afford to buy a house in where they want to live yeah and the possibility of some sort of mixed equity model which exists in you know every other Europe when every European country and even in Western Australia to some extent but where people could buy um, contribute, a cash contribution, you know, whether it's 50000 or 100000 they invest in the co-op and you have a mixed equity arrangement. And the government's obviously got to support this model and they've got to put up a fair bit of cash. Mm. But if you can draw on tenants who want to contribute and invest in the co-op, it's just a no-brainer, I reckon, and, and I don't know why we're not doing it, something like that, mm-hmm. but we've really got to get on board with some sort of mixed equity housing models for that missing middle, and there's a lot of people that would like to do that. You know, you, you've got money sitting in the bank. You, you no, way, no way known you can afford to buy a house, mm-hmm. but you could invest in a cooperative housing, and it just it adds to the whole skin in the game concept type thing I suppose people would feel would buy would have shares in the co-op you know beyond what we currently do so and it miss it solves that problem of the missing middle and there's so many people knocking on our doors who want housing but you know may not be eligible or um just don't know where to go so yeah yeah. that's a really good point Peter we've actually run out of time so it's been a great conversation I'm sure we could keep talking for another hour but I'm going to have to thank you and leave it there so thanks Janet Mayer and Peter from United Housing Co-op and happy 40th anniversary thank you thanks Fiona thanks Fiona thank you keep up the good work thank you three minutes uh, you're listening to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Age Action Group show here on 3CR 8.55am. We're almost out of time. That was an interview with some folks from the United Housing Co-op. Uh, thanks, Fiona, for organising and doing the interview today. No worries. No worries. Uh, we're just about to leave you, but we'll give you some phone numbers before we go. So if you want to get in touch with HAG because you're an older Victorian with a housing issue that you want to talk to someone about, best number to call us on is one three hundred seven six five one seven eight. That's one three hundred seven six five one seven eight. 
If you want to get in touch about some of our policy or advocacy type work, uh, a trip to Canberra that's coming up, I'm sure Fiona will be raving about next time you hear from us. Yep. Uh, this is the best number to call us on is nine six five four seven three eight nine. That's nine six five four seven three eight nine. Tomorrow we've got an event, the launch of the uh, report which yep. you can watch online. Yep. Uh, people could find that link through our website. Is Correct. that right? Yep. Oldattendance.org.au. There's an events tab on there. Uh, you can join. What time can they join? 12.15. 12.15. Going to be awesome. Learn some things about older people's housing and homelessness. And also see our delegation to Canberra, eight women, which will be there, um, and some researchers. And it's all very exciting. So definitely join online. If you haven't already registered, you can do that. Awesome. Yeah, so you can register through that link on our website, yep. oldattendance.org.au. Um, I reckon it's time for us to stop talking and play a song. What song are we going to play, Fiona? We've got to play a song appropriately titled Home, and yes. it is by Koran. Koran? Koran. don't know. I don't oh, know how to pronounce how the name. embarrassing. Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, we'll be back for the second, for second and fourth Wednesday of every month. That's right. See you then. Bye. Bye. I wonder